This is the Cascade Hiker Podcast. Find us over at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. I'm a country boy with the soft side. My heart wanders up north to the hillside. Now I've never made anyone quite as beautiful as you. I'm your host, Rudy Gets It. I'm here to inspire you to get out on the trail. You putting in two-mile hikes, five-mile hikes? Are you still on the couch? Come on, let's go on a backpacking trip. I'm going to introduce you to some folks that have done that and a whole lot more. All right, next on the Cascade Hiker Podcast, what's your name and where are you from? I'm Mark Weatherington from Hamilton, Montana. All right, well, I got this brand-new book in my hands, Backpacking Washington, and it says Mark Weatherington on it. (laughs) Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So I was the co-author of this with Doug Lorraine, who's done Backpacking Oregon, Backpacking Idaho, the first two editions of Backpacking Washington, Backpacking Wyoming, and probably a dozen other more uh, books on hiking, mostly in the Pacific Northwest. But he's also done a few with a co-author of uh, Best Backpacking Trips, New Mexico, Utah, Arizona, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, and uh, I think maybe another one, California, Nevada. But yeah, there's a series of books that he done. Uh, and so, yeah, he was the original author of this for the first two editions. And then I was brought in to help do some of the field work and co-author the third edition. All right. Well, let's talk about that because one of the first things I always like to kind of ask people when I'm talking about guidebooks and this, and let me just say for one, one bit, I'm excited about this one. You know, obviously I live in Washington and these are all backpacking trips that either I've done or uh, they're on my list. So this is this is the perfect uh, book for somebody in my shoes. And uh, now, did you then, because you, this was a co-author thing, did you hike all these hikes or were some of them already kind of set out for you? Exactly. The, the latter. Uh, Doug and I split some of them up and some of them he'd hiked in the last few years uh, and then some of them. I hiked about maybe 10 of the ones that are in here and then updated the descriptions, you know, noting something like, okay, the bridge washed out over Crooked Creek in the Wanaha Toucanon Wilderness. So, you know, be cognizant of that if you're trying to plan this early in the season and just know that that's going to be a factor to deal with and that there's been fire damage. That's probably one of the biggest things of updating this book was noting all the fire damage. And one trail that was in the second edition, the Kettle Crest Trail over there, kind of near Kettle Falls in that area, Republic. Um, oh, right. We had to actually take that out, which is really unfortunate. It was about a 30 mile point to point and um, just a spectacular trail that didn't get a whole lot of traffic. Uh, but the latter, maybe 10 miles of that burned uh, in 2016, I, I want to say. And uh, it just made it where for the last third of the hike, you're pretty much just hiking through burn, which, uh, you know, for people that uh, are trying to plan a good weekend trip, you don't want to spend a whole day in burn and the camping on the second half to do that as a two night trip. Uh, I camped in a, you know, an area that I just would never want to camp at again. There's nowhere else to camp. There's just tons of snags and really kind of, it was a fortunately a pretty calm night, but one of those kind of just spooky things of being around a bunch of dead standing burned trees and knowing that, you know, that's kind of nowhere, no way out of that. So we didn't want to recommend people do that. So, uh, yeah, we had to scratch that one out. But, yeah, fire damage and kind of updating books on those conditions. And some of the permit restrictions have changed, so trying to keep that as current as we can. And then, uh, yeah, that was about, uh, about what I was brought in to do. And there are two new trails that I did uh, that were added in here. Or, well, they aren't new trails, but they're new to the book. It was the Yakima Skyline Trail and then the uh, 
Downey Creek to Cub Lake in the Glacier Peak Wilderness. And then Doug had a new trip, I believe, in the Pesatan Wilderness that he added in here that looks pretty incredible that I kind of wish I could have hiked. But uh, that's, you know, part of doing a co-author thing. Can't hike them all. Yeah. All right. on. Well, can you talk a little bit about the decisions on the hikes? Not not necessarily just the like Downey Creek to Cub Lake. That that one's kind of interesting to pull out because that's a, a definite out and back um, type of a hike. But it appears that uh, almost by choice, you guys try to find some loops. Is that true? Uh, yeah. And Doug, you know, a lot of these were ones that he'd laid out because he's backpacked uh, just extensively in the Pacific Northwest in Washington. And so he kind of thought these were the best of the best uh, hikes in Washington. And, you know, he kind of aimed for not just weekend trips, but ones that, you know, and if you do look in here, uh, I think the shortest trail in here is that Yakima Skyline loop, or maybe it is that, or not, yeah, the kind of partial loop there. Maybe it's the Downey Creek to Cub Lake. But, you know, most of them are in the 35 to 45, you know, even 60-mile range. So these are uh, you know, kind of the extended backpacking trips. And loops are, of course, ideal because point to point, uh, you know, logistically, they're just, uh, you know, a whole different ball game to have to work with. So yeah, it was kind of a focus on loops or just out and backs or shuttle trips like the Olympic coast that were just too nice not to include, you know, if it's a book that's the best of the best of backpacking in Washington, there's some things you just have to include. Um, but yeah, there was a point to point in North Cascades going from Hannigan Pass trailhead and coming out at Ross Lake that uh was a nice hike when i hiked it it was extremely smoky i think i did it in six days and five of them were just smoke filled it was horrible i was up at whatcom pass and couldn't even see whatcom glacier or challenger peak or any of that it was just um really really smoky uh the berries were nice uh and tap two lakes were great but uh that that hike was great in terms of the scenery that I could see, and I can imagine it would be spectacular, but it was one where when we kind of looked at it, uh, it's just too much of a shuttle to really try to recommend and describe it in there. Uh, So we tried to stick with loops just because that's always a popular choice. Yeah, I mean, it's easy. (laughs) Yeah, getting from from trailhead to trailhead sometimes can be tough. I know I've been trying to piece together the Pacific Crest Trail, uh, and, you know, I took most of last year off from all that. But, um, man, mainly – because I'm getting all the way down towards, I mean, I live in closer to the North Cascades, and the part that I have left is down Mount Adams and South, and so it's it's getting kind of tough to have some. Hey, can you drop me off or whatever, right? So that's kind of tough. Let's talk about the obviously the one that, that sits real real close to my I don't know my heart. I guess I, I just love the area is Glacier Peak Loop. Um, is that one that you did, or maybe you've done it in the past? And um, can you kind of talk about how? I mean, because it seems like an area that's tough to, to come up with a loop in other than some of the already smaller loops that are set, set there. Yeah. And that was not, that was not one that I did. That was one that Doug did. Um, and he says that it's one of the best hikes, you know, in, in North America that he's done. I think he said it's basically like the wonderland trail, but without the, you know, kind of permit hassles um, also without the kind of easy resupplies, but with, you know, he said you get 90% of the scenery and, you know, 10% of the crowds, I think, was the way that he described it. So um, that's definitely one that I would love to make it out there and do just because it uh, just looks like phenomenal country that you're able to pass through on that. And really just, uh, you know, any hike where you're walking around a mountain is just always kind of incredible. Just being in kind of the shadow of something as massive as those volcanic peaks over there. So 
Uh, yeah, that's not one that I could really shed any light on or give you any uh, kind of cool stories about that hike, but I know Doug had a blast doing that, and it's definitely on my list. Oh, yeah. Well, and I've done – um, I've done probably 80% of that trail anyway, but, oh, man, it just always sticks out. And um, one thing that I really thought was cool about your book is, well, one th- I mean, we should mention there's only, what is it, 26 highlighted hikes here. And I, I guess I-, I-, I don't mean to say only because those are like some of the, you know, obviously the top-notch hikes. But uh, I would think some people might say like, oh, I was expecting more or something, you know, but you guys really did that. But then you also gave a little bit more. Can you kind of talk? talk about that a little bit yeah yeah there's the other backpacking options that we uh you know listed in there there's about oh i guess another 12 or so uh that are kind of other backpacking options where we didn't you know take time to do the the maps and really the kind of mile by mile breakdown of those but that are included in there for people that just want a little bit more to do uh and then at the end of some of the other hikes in here like for you know one example would be the eastern Pesaten loop uh which is one that i hiked and had a blast on that was an amazing hike i did it uh late september and the larch were uh turning and it was just an amazing hike great weather uh but we do suggest some of the variations in there where you can kind of cut the loop in half and you know knock it down to about you know 35 miles instead of closer to 60. Uh, so we do try to give people some options. So yeah, it looks a little short, uh, if you're just looking at, oh, there's only 26 hikes in there. And, but there, uh, if you kind of add the ones at the end and the variations of making them a little bit shorter or some of them making them even longer, then it, mm. it, it certainly opens up some possibilities. It can get people kind of creating and planning their own trips. And that's what I think is fun about guidebooks is they can really give you, uh, the info that you need to start. Um, you know, not exactly hike it exactly the way it's described and just follow exactly in our footsteps, but to say, oh, I think, you know, I'm going to take do two thirds of it and then veer off and do my own thing over here and come back. And it's just uh, it's just good to have some of that detailed information. You know, we don't want to have every little, you know, thing out there and spoil all the fun and adventure. But it's it's nice to have some of these uh, some of this information down so you can help plan your own trip and you know, I'm a big user of guidebooks. I'm getting ready to go down to Arizona in early March for some backpacking. And I've got several guidebooks checked out from the library on that, that I'm using to, you know, figure out what I can figure out first and then figure out what some options are of, you know, shortcutting things or doing a bigger figure eight loop with a little bit of road walking. And uh, yeah, they're just a fun resource. And uh, another great book, there's actually another book that I think Mountaineers Press put out that's by Craig Romano that's Backpacking Washington also. And that's an excellent book. Um, you know, I use that for helping me with just, you know, figuring out some of the logistics on this hike, water sources, especially in the eastern part of the state where you kind of need a little bit of, uh, you know, you have to rely a little bit more on getting to springs and water sources. And that book does have many more hikes and it has a lot of good overnighters and uh, weekend hikes. And this one, by and large, is more focused on, you know, three night minimum kind of trips, unless you're you know, for the average backpacker that hikes between maybe eight and 12 miles a day, you know, for the through hiking crowd or the people that are ultralighters, they're knocking out 20 mile days. You know, they could do a lot of these trails on a shorter time frame. But, you know, for the average backpacker that's uh, want, just wanting to get into it and uh, see some of that scenery without having to hike from sunup to sundown, uh, these are the trips in there that are a little bit longer than a weekend. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and you mentioned Craig Romano. I mean, you know, he's he's got so many dang books too. So he's been on here uh, talking about that exact book, I believe that you're talking about. So 
Um, can you um, can you kind of talk a little bit now um, more about that Yakima Skyline Trail? Um, one thing that I kind of noticed, so I just pulled it up, and uh, as I'm looking at the map and stuff, is it remote or it, you know? I mean, when you look at the map, you're kind of like, oh wow, am I going to be hiking in town here, or what's going on? It looks like it's pretty close, <laughs> but it it also looks like you're far enough away, right? Yeah, yeah, that was actually a really, really enjoyable hike. I did that mid-April, so it's a good early season one if you just want to get out and ramble. But, uh, yeah, there's uh, not even really the illusion of, of wilderness when you're out there just because it had been so heavily impacted by roads and, uh, you know, homesteading, I suppose, and other things. There's some, uh, you know, building foundations right along Raza Creek where the trail comes in headed north. Uh, you got the railroad right there, so it's one of those things where – you know, if you were up on that road on Umtanum Ridge, you might have, you know, some four-wheel drive vehicle drive by. If it's, I think they open the gate on that some, but you know, you could have that drive by, hear a train go by, and hear kind of, you know, jets or whatever from that military base near there fly overhead. So it's not a, a it definitely is one of the least remote hikes in here, but it's also one of the only ones in that kind of, uh, steppe sagebrush eastern washington uh type territory just because of the lack of you know public land out there for backpacking and really getting around and stretching your legs on so um, and the wildflowers there are pretty incredible and you know nice wildlife saw some elk there and you know really good views of rainier and mount adams so it's one to uh you know it's 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 not one that you should neglect just because of its proximity to uh civilization um but yeah it's definitely not super remote by any stretch but it's it's a nice walk yeah no, that's good to know um and and like you say the fact that it opens up so early too i think a lot of people are always kind of looking for that uh, early spring hike you know something they can get out and uh, kind of test their gear for the season again you know that kind of thing right yeah exactly and it's um you know that little cross-country section that's got a nice climb i mean you really do have to put in some effort to get up there to that untandem ridge and uh, it is nice just because you can go out there and just kind of you know, it's wide and open and you can just really kind of wander around, get to high point, see where you want to go and then get there. You know, you're not really going to get cliffed out like you can in other parts of the Cascades. Uh, you're also not going to end up, you know, thrashing through Devil's Club and, you know, thick rhododendron or anything, you know, on this hike, you're able to uh, just kind of wander where you want to. So it's kind of neat in that regard. And the views uh, from some of those spots are just super expansive i mean it's really it's really neat i mean you are looking down on you know roads and you know uh you know development and stuff from many of those high points but it's it's nice it's a really uh, it kind of gives montana a run for its money in regard to you know the idea of big sky uh you know out there you really get some nice nice views nice uh well i, I hate to bring the conversation back again but man i just i Something I've always, I don't know, I've, I think it was the old guidebooks. Uh, yeah, you, know, you see, like, uh, these pictures of Dome Peak and um, that kind of thing. So I, I guess I just really love the the idea of getting up to Downey Creek, to, to Cub Lake and all that. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that hike? Because um, maybe maybe just walk us through that hike altogether. Um, you know, what are, those, what are those tent sites like on that first – you know, six and a half miles. How is the trail in there? How's the climb? Is it, is it, is it hard to, to follow? Maybe walk us through that whole hike. Okay, sure. Uh, yes. Yeah, so that's probably my favorite hike in the book. I would say either that or the, uh, Northeastern Olympics loop. Uh, and now that I'm thinking about it, well, the Satan was nice too, but, uh, nah. and then, you know, I could probably just go on and then end up with five hikes, but that was probably my favorite hike because it had, uh, 
probably the most solitude out of any of them. I didn't really see that many people. And it just had such an amazing diversity of scenery. So you start, uh, you know, right there on the Seattle River, and then you're in some really nice old growth on that six and a half miles or so that it takes to get to the junction with the Bachelor Creek Trail. And it's just, when I hiked it, I know that has some issues with downfall and uh, some kind of flooding and boggy sections in earlier in the summer. But when I hiked it, which was mid-August, uh, it was just perfect cruiser trail. I mean, I think I was able to hike, I was hiking at a pretty quick clip, but I was able to knock out that first six and a half miles in, you know, just over two hours. And there were some nice little kind of creekside, or not creekside exactly, but, you know, impacted campsites that were between the trail and the creek, but not, you know, in any way that would be causing, you know, harm or anything, or, uh, you know, kind of violating the LNT principles there. It was uh, nice, nice campsites along there and just beautiful old growth forest ferns, just really, uh, you know, just charming, great light, the way the light filters through the, through the conifers before it hits the trail and just uh, really lush feeling and just a great, a great place. Um, you know, it's one that um, I really liked hiking in and out on that section. I know a lot of people that do the Ptarmigan Traverse, you know, that's something they're just trying to get over with. But I mean, I could have hiked another six miles of that <laughs> easy and been totally content. So uh, that's really, really pretty. Uh, there is a campsite at that junction with the Bachelor Creek Trail. And uh, some people kind of hike in and camp there, which probably isn't a bad idea. I was on kind of a time crunch. So I had to do this trip in two nights and had to kind of rush through it a little bit more than I wanted to. Uh, and there's a nice waterfall right there at Bachelor Creek. And then the trail, which, uh, and this is, you know, one of those kind of ethical things you go through with, you know, guidebooks or any type of, you know, promotion of the outdoors is, you know, directing people to places that might not have the infrastructure to handle it. And Doug and I had a lot of conversations about this. And, uh, you know, that trail, the Bachelor Creek Trail, is now on the map that you can buy at the Darrington Ranger Station. So, uh, you know, in a certain sense, once those trails are on maps provided by the agency, I think getting information about what it's like to hike those is, uh, you know, is ethically justifiable and it's actually a good thing to do. So people know what they're getting into. Uh, you know, if they're doing their research, they might be able to find out that, oh, that trail is, it, you know, it's a dotted line on a map, but it's not the same type of dotted line as Downey Creek Trail is. It's a much <laughs> steeper overgrown uh you know it's not sketchy really in any places there are some really steep sections towards the end as it pulls up to uh the pass above cub lake uh and i think i said you know that's a section of trail where if you can't say anything nice or if you if you go by the idea of don't say anything if you can't say anything nice you'll you'll be speechless for about an hour there as you're kind of working your way up there because it's not a very nice <laughs> section of trail uh but yeah, so that's, uh, that's, you know, with, with that being again, kind of on the map and there's an official trail to Cub Lake, I think it's important for people to know what that trail's like and also, uh, what they need to do when they get up there, if they're planning on camping and staying overnight, because, uh, you know, that was an area that has not seen a ton of impacts because it's mostly just been climbers that have going up, going, been going up there, but it's, it's such a nice area up there. Uh, so, but it's a, it's a, it's a haul to get there. It's definitely a grind and it's, it is overgrown in sections on that bachelor Creek trail. Uh, but it's not, uh, I'd done a lot of hiking in the Southern Appalachians before moving out West, which have a lot of overgrown trails and kind of steep, you know, not many switchbacks. So for me, it was, 
it didn't live up to it. I think I said it had a reputation for Jurassic brutality, which is what, you know, I'd kind of read from uh, looking at trip reports online and uh, talking to people, but I didn't find it to be, uh, you know, it's no walk in the park, but it wasn't, you know, something where you say, oh, I'm never doing that again. This is horrible. I want to, you know, give up and turn around. At least I didn't, but uh, it was, uh, it's definitely a grind and you, um, yeah, you just have to kind of commit to it and know what you're getting into. Uh, but then once you <laughs> get up into Bachelor Meadows and have those views over towards uh, the, you know, 0.6495, which is such a kind of technical and sterile way of describing such a beautiful vantage point to hike up to and look out. But, you know, that's, you know, I'm not going to be someone that makes up names of places. I've heard some people call it Spinster Peak, but since that's not on the map, I didn't really want to start you know, going down that whole road of naming things, you know, just kind of personal preference not to dabble in that. I Many already feel kind of, you know, like when you're writing a guidebook, you're doing enough uh, over explaining maybe, or you're doing enough to kind of give, uh, you know, to ascribe features or characteristics to the landscape and going to actually name something. It's just a little, a little past my wheelhouse, even if it is something that's uh, kind of has a colloquial name. So, uh, but once you get to those views up there, Bachelor Meadows and the pass above Cub Lake is just absolutely spectacular. Um, you get some brief spots where you can see Cub Lake and it's what lake down below that. And it's just, um, it's one of those places where once you get in there, you really, really don't want to leave. Yeah, it's real meadowy then. Um, yeah, Bachelor Meadows has a, has a really nice meadow that the trail climbs above. And that's a nice, that's one of the nicer sections of the trail. That's what's so interesting about that Bachelor Peak Trail that's on the map uh, is, you know, some sections of it are just miserably kind of uh, eroded. Trees have fallen down and you're kind of just, I mean, I can't even imagine what the grade is on some of those sections. I mean, it's almost like grabbing roots and pulling yourself up because that's just the fall line and it was a climber's trail originally i suppose and so they were just kind of looking for the quickest way in or out and uh but the section in through kind of above bachelor meadows is just great cruiser trail and then you know you get to this pass and there's these crazy switchbacks down to cub lake where if you kind of had one or two missteps you'd be falling probably all the way into the lake and some places it's just pretty steep but uh yeah, it skirts, it skirts the meadow on a kind of shoulder bench kind of area and then uh, goes up to that pass above Cub Lake and then zigzags down to it and drops you kind of right at the uh, right at the head of Cub Lake. And, and you, uh, such a remote area there, too, with the trail and the meadows and the, the water and stuff. And is there any wildlife up there that you saw in your, in your short visit? Or? No, I really didn't. Uh, I didn't see many tracks there. There was a lot of berries, which were great. And then, uh, you know, most of the wildlife that I was, uh, you know, was, was trout. I was fishing Cub Lake and then it's Lake as well. And, uh, <laughs> had some pretty good days in both of those lakes. The fish were kind of on the smaller side in Cub Lake, but it's Lake. There's some, uh, some pretty nice sized trout down in there. Uh, so yeah, that was the only kind of wildlife I really, really saw. All right. Well, let's talk about the uh, Eastern Satan Loop a little bit. Uh, I don't want to get too too deep on all these trails like I did that one because I just I, the only reason why I wanted to bring that one up was because it just it seems like maybe it was 
like you were saying, sort of on almost inaccessible for a while, and then now it's sort of open, and uh, just seemed really cool that you put it in. But uh, the Pesatan Loop, the Eastern Pesatan Loop, um, this is a unique area because uh, I was just interviewing some folks that hiked the Pacific Northwest Trail last year, and this is this kind of encompasses uh, quite a few miles of that Pesatan area. Um, and what they said was their favorite part of the Pesatan. And, uh, and so, yeah, I don't know. Can you talk about Cathedral Pass? Did you have that same experience there? Oh, yeah, that was just amazing. Yeah, that's just – and I've talked to other PNT through hikers that have said that the Satan – stretch was one of their favorites uh and i i totally echo that uh in terms of you know it's one of my favorite hikes of the miles i did in washington and it was uh yeah that cathedral pass area is just it's just stunning and you get into some really nice trail between cathedral lake and the kind of drop off down towards uh rimmel lake where you're in just some beautiful meadows with just huge views uh it, it, yeah, I mean, it's just nothing short of just awe-inspiring. It's just it's some of the best uh, best hiking that I did was in there. And uh, I'm a big fan of kind of old buildings and relics and that sort of thing. And so the Tungsten Mine in there, which is about kind of, uh, you know, maybe five or six miles away from Cathedral Pass, I believe, uh, that, uh, you know, was a really neat spot to go and see those old buildings that had been stewarded and taken care of and, uh, you know, I didn't spend the night there, but I just kind of had a long lunch and just lingered around and checked them out because I think those old cabins are really, really cool, especially when they're, you know, I mean, the nearest existing road is, you know, 12 miles or more from there probably. And it's just one of those things you think, wow, how did they get this stuff in here and build this and that people were living here and working and um, yeah, just really the need to kind of reflect on that. So that was some of my favorite parts that the Satan hike was cathedral pass. And then, uh, again, I was hiking that one with the larch returning. And so being at upper cathedral Lake and just seeing some of the reflections down of, of the larch, uh, on the water and cathedral pass and peak above that, it was just really special. Uh, the only kind of issue with that loop is that again, you hit a lot of burn in some of those areas. Uh, and so that kind of detracts from it a little bit, but that was, uh, that was a really cool area and horseshoe basin, I think is, actually technically kind of arctic tundra it just gets so much snowfall and is so high up there that it's uh you know really unique landscape uh, to just be walking through and to see that it's uh you know it's just noticeably different than even kind of alpine meadows you can just tell there's something a little different going on there so uh it's cool for just the diversity of the, what you get there from you know being down near the river to the lakes to those uh basins it's it's just spectacular and pretty uncrowded. Um, I think I hiked that on, I think it was a weekend area, or maybe it was like a Sunday or Monday when I went in there. So it was, it was midweek, it was during the week. So I didn't really see that many people, but I think I did that trip in three nights and four days and the middle two days, I just didn't see anyone. So that was, it was pretty neat. Nice. And, um, what about like water along the trail? I mean, obviously through the lake area and stuff, you're fine, but uh, do you have any issues with that over there? No, I didn't. Things were flowing, flowing pretty good. I was able to get some water in Horseshoe Basin. And then, uh, you know, I covered the ground from Horseshoe Basin to Upper Cathedral Lake in one day, which I think was maybe like 18 miles or something like that. But it didn't have a whole lot of climbing. It was pretty easy. And I just, um, you know, I kind of fill up like I think I left that morning with two liters and that was fine for me to get uh, through the day, 
you know, it was pretty cool, mild temperatures. I drank a lot of water before I started hiking and just didn't want to plan on having to find water. And, uh, you know, I, I have pretty lightweight gear, but I always err on the side of too much water. I've had one experience where, uh, in Arizona a couple of years back where, uh, you know, I just didn't have enough water and it was, you know, it was a thirsty afternoon until I got to the source at the campsite that night. And I just, that made an impression on me. So I usually carry a little bit more water than most people would just because it, it's not fun to be thirsty when you're hiking. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, man. Well, I, I noticed there's a little kind of um, smaller loop in there, and that's why it's cool that you guys have such detailed, I don't know, not detailed maps, but maps that show all the surrounding trails as well. And um, I don't know. This is the one that I, when I picked up the book and I started flipping through it, I was actually kind of looking at this one for me and the kids to do because it looks like, uh, you know, possibly – taking that shorter loop and including cathedral pass and um with that tungsten creek uh trail uh, looks like a pretty good small loop there yeah they probably have a blast uh checking out those um old mining cabins and all that i mean that'd be so cool as a kid to be able to see that and just you know walk through the forest and be hiking and hiking and hiking and then all of a sudden there's you know these cabins there so yeah that'd be a great one yeah one thing i know when i was talking to um you know, you mentioned Craig Romano earlier, and, and when we talked about his backpacking book, when he took that over from the Mountaineers and, and did his own edition, one thing that he went through and made sure that all the hikes weren't just right real close to Seattle. And, um, you know, without probably really thinking it out too much, this book really encompasses the whole state as well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's from the northeast to the southeast to the northwest, to the southwest parts of the state. I mean, you have from the Olympic Peninsula to, you know, I mean, some of the trails actually dip into Idaho and even Oregon, you know, up in the Salmo Priest, you know, that a good couple miles of that trail is actually over in Idaho. And it's, you know, two or three miles shy of the Canadian border to the north. And then, you know, to the east is Idaho. And so it uh, loops around there. And then the Winaha Tucannon, you know, is in uh, Oregon for a couple miles too. So yeah, it's, it's all over. Um, and that's, that's what's important is because it's, I mean, there's the whole state is just stunning. It's really a beautiful place. And, uh, you know, there's just amazing scenery all over. And the Wanaha Tucannon and the Selmo Priest, which are in the uh, Northeast and Southeast were just really great, great hikes. And, um, and not as many people on the trail, but the scenery was, it's not as rugged and majestic as the, you know, the Cascades area stuff close to Seattle. But I mean, if you love backpacking, you would love either of those hikes because they're just, uh, you know, they're really out there. And we did just want to try to, yeah, showcase what uh, what the whole state has to offer. And that's why it was unfortunate that the Kettle Crest Trail, you know, we just had to cut that because of the the fire damage in there. The first, you know, 12 miles or so were pretty nice. Uh, still, you know, up to Columbia Mountain Lookout, there's a old historic lookout cabin from like 1916 or so that's there and then uh going to the jungle hill spring and there's a great campsite there and continuing on there there's some nice white bark pine stands up on uh, the name of the mountains escaping it's not columbia mountain because that's where the lookout is it's um i'm just blanking on it but it's it's nice and that'd be a good way to go and spend a night at the jungle hill campsite day hike up to the mountain that's north of there that's escaping me and then uh come back to um, you know, hike out or go back up to the lookout. So yeah, there's, yeah, tons of stuff all over the state. So, well, uh, you know, one thing I kind of wanted to talk about too is, uh, um, permits, you know, some of the hikes you have in here need them and some of them don't. And, 
Um, can you know? I don't know if you can want to get into that at all. Which ones are easier? Which ones are harder? Sure. Um, yeah. So I I didn't have too much of an issue with getting the permits that I needed for the hikes I did, which was the North Cascades and the uh, Northeastern Olympic Loop. I think those were the only two hikes I did that I needed a permit for. Um, and you know, I just uh, you know with the Olympics. I was able to just go to the visitor center and get one there that called the Rangers, you know, months beforehand and asked kind of what I needed to do. And they said, given my itinerary where some of those were not in quota sites, so you needed a permit, but you didn't need to, you know, a reservation, so to speak. And they didn't limit the number of people there. And the way that itinerary worked, I mean, it's kind of nice because they have some of those permits reserved for walk up. And if you, start your trip so many days before and glacier park is kind of the same way where if you have the first two or three nights of your trip in a certain area then you can get a walk-up permit because your trip is starting that it's i'm not doing a great job of explaining it but you know it's one of those things where it's not a loophole it's not a technicality but it's just the way that they have it so that if you're doing a longer (laughs) loop you know so if you're doing a longer loop that you can you know have access to those quota sites in the same way someone that's just going in from the trailhead in and out would have it. So it's, it's a pretty egalitarian thing that they do when they have it set up that way, honestly. So I think that's um, something to be appreciated, but I didn't have, I used that lottery system for North Cascades, I think, where you could have that advanced permit. The first year they did it, it was 2017 where you could, uh, you know, pay $20 and send in your itinerary and they could approve that in not in advance necessarily, but you could, you know, hold your permit. It was something they're experimenting with and it, it worked well for me. Um, we did put in for enchantment permits, you know, two years in a row and neither of us got those, uh, because that was one that we wanted to think about including in the book, but then also given how difficult it is to get those permits, it's one of those things where, you know, you could try for 10 years and never get it. So, you know, there's, you know, only so many pages you can have in a guidebook and you really have to prioritize what would many people likely be able to get a permit to hike and, uh, that was that was not one of them, so we decided to take that out. And that area does get so much attention already that it you know it doesn't really need any more press or any more descriptions uh, out there for that one. So uh, yeah, permits weren't an issue. I'll be curious to see if any of these trails do go to permits in the next couple of years. The Lewitt Trail around Mount St. Helens seems like that's getting a lot more action um, than you know just from talking to Doug and his perspective on it. And when I hiked it, I did see a fair amount of people, um, but I think some of the kind of uh, same as that Downey Creek trail where it kind of has a reputation that the Lewitt's, you know, super sketchy and hard and, uh, challenging, but I think it maybe kind of keeps some of the people out of there, but that's one that I'd be curious to see if that goes to permits in the next couple of years. Um, but a lot of the other ones, you know, in the Northeast part of the state, Southeast to Satan, uh, just not, not a whole lot of people out there. Hmm. All right. Well, I can't let you go without talking to you a little bit about Leave No Trace. And you brought it up a, a little bit here in the episode. And uh, uh, can you talk? Because, I mean, one of the things I was going to ask you, which I ask everybody at the end of the show, um, I just heard you on the trail show uh, recently. And, you know, you mentioned, well, what's your Instagram handle? <laughs> you oh, know, can you yeah. go into the reason why you don't have one? Oh, it's just I don't I mean, it's not some big, you know, moral high ground or anything like that. I just don't, you know, I kind of you know, it's, it's, it's not any kind of political statement or anything like that. I just, you know, I just don't really enjoy that. I'm on computers at work all day and I just don't, 
you know, need any more kind of distractions or whatnot. And I know it's a great way to connect with people and I'm probably selling myself short and doing myself a disservice by not, um, not doing that, but it's just something that, um, I don't know. It just doesn't, doesn't work for me. My personality, maybe it's just not, um, not something I'm keen on. I mean, I had Facebook for a couple of years, um, you know, in college and then just kind of, especially all the political vitriol and all the other stuff that, you know, it's just, <laughs> it's something that, um, uh, I just, you know, kind of was like, you know, I'll just delete this, take a break for a couple of years and uh, maybe come back to it. And it's been, you know, more than 10 years and I haven't felt <laughs> compelled to pull back, uh, get pulled back into that. So, yeah, it's just, you know, there's I'm, I'm on, you know, I've got the text messaging and the you know, email and everything that, you know, I'm, I'm in contact with the people that that I like to be in contact with. And I just haven't felt compelled to um uh, you know, to hop on there and kind of participate in the broader um, kind of, uh, you know, digital networking that way. And I, I think it's a great thing. It is kind of heartwarming when you hear about, you know, all the organizations that have been able to raise a lot of money for trails and for, um, you know, other good causes, you know, just charities for whatever, you know, through social media. It's a great connector for people, but it's just one that, uh, you know, I, I connect with people in other ways and, and that's, um, that's kind of what I do. Right on. Yeah. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense to me. Um, what about, uh, what about when you're on the trail? Um, I think, I think it's, it's, it can be a problem when people don't follow, leave no trace. And I, I don't know, I guess I don't bring it up enough. So, um, you know, what do you, what are your thoughts on leave no trace? Oh, I think it's been super important for people to be aware of where they're hiking and where they're, uh, you know, just kind of the challenges facing some of the areas that they're hiking and being considerate of other, other visitors, I think is a huge thing that, you know, that's part of leave no trace too, is, you know, knowing that, you know, it's not anarchy in the woods. It's, you know, just cause there's not people everywhere, fences all the everywhere telling you to do or not do things that it is kind of, um, you know, with the freedom of going into the outdoors comes a lot of responsibility. And I think that, you know, the, the more we can do to patiently and kindly, um, you know, educate each other, all of us, you know, I mean, there's, there's things that, uh, you know, I look back on that I did just a few years ago that, you know, probably weren't, uh, you know, proper leave no trace, that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, I think it's super important, but, uh, it's, it's been really disappointing, honestly, the last year, two years or so to see some of the tone, um, that, that, that people have taken and some of the kind of, you know, the shaming and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, that's a, and making people feel unwelcome, especially people from, um, you know, some of the, you know, from marginalized communities feel like the outdoors isn't their place or that, you know, that's, that's pretty toxic and that's not good. Um, you know, I do have some complex thoughts about overuse and impact and how that gets directed. But, uh, you know, I think overall, uh, you know, just patience, kindness, and, and just informing people that, you know, this stuff, you know, the cumulative impacts of people going off trail, picking flowers, camping in meadows do add up. Um, but also that, you know, you have to have some patience, you know, if you come to a campsite that's, you know, a little bit further into the grass or something than you think it should be, you know, don't go off on that person. You don't know if they just hiked, you know, a 15 mile day and it was dark and pouring rain and they set up there because the other campsite was taken and those people have now left and you're wondering why they're camped in the, you know, lesser impacted spot. You know, you have to kind of realize everybody's coming at this from a different place. Everybody's learning. Everyone's, you know, had different contexts for the decisions they made um so yeah i think it's important to to think about all that yeah uh that's that's good 
Well, hey, Mark, uh, thanks so much for coming on the Casket Hiker Podcast. You know, we didn't mention, I uh, just want to mention again that uh, it's, the book's called Backpacking Washington, and it's the Wilderness Press, and the authors are Douglas Lorraine and you, Mark Weatherington, right? Yep, that's that's us. Right on, man. Well, hey, thanks again, Mark. I really appreciate you coming on the Cascade Hiker Podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot, Rudy. Appreciate it. All right, that's the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to join the Patreon page. Find me at patreon.com slash Cascade Hiker Podcast. Also, hit me up uh, with an email, Rudy at CascadeHikerPodcast.com. Find me on Facebook. My Facebook page is Cascade Hiker Podcast. Twitter, find me at N underscore Cascade Hiking. And I'm Cascade Hiker Podcast on Instagram. Thanks, Whiskey Fever, for letting me use this track here, Tall Grass, off their album, Gonna Wake Up This Whole Town. Go find them at ReverbNation.com slash Whiskey Fever. Hey, see you next week. You were sweet like honey on a heartbeat. You were fine like wine and sunshine. I could feel you coming on strong. Could never be wrong. Could never be wrong. See her laying down in the tall grass. Playing mandolin in a white dress. I come running when I hear that song. It could never be wrong. It could never be wrong. Where you want to run, baby, I'll run too. I would leave this world for a beautiful girl if I could just find